have a national crisis on our hands with a lack of teachers in education. On average, we have over 80,000 positions that need to be filled each year from the elementary to high school level. Ellie Maxwell is a recently retired public administrator and principal from the Bernie ISD district. Ellie holds a bachelor's degree in elementary education and a master's degree in educational administration. She has spent 30 years in public education with the last 16 as an elementary school principal. In 2000, she was selected as Northside's ISD Educator of the Year. During her time at the Cibolo Creek Elementary School, she had a direct staff of 65 people and oversight of 750 students for their educational direction and safety. She implemented Watchdogs, an innovative father involvement in educational initiative, as well as established the Bully Task Force to provide a proactive plan to addressing bullying to only name a few of her many, many accomplishments. Upon retiring, she transitioned into a new chapter of her life where she's a training coordinator at Acemark Restaurant Supply, where she is a shining example of the act two in life. I am so excited that, Ellie, you've decided to join me on my podcast. When I was trying to find an educator, a teacher, a principal, you were at the very top of my list. I've been um, honored to know Ellie and her sister, actually, for, gosh, I've known your sister probably 30 years. We worked at two different universities together when we were new professionals and through that, I was blessed to get to know Ellie. And so I think because I have so many clients who come to me and an educator, whether it's a kindergarten teacher, middle school, high school, even into being a professor at a university comes up as an ideal career, they often discount it for many reasons, um, pay, the challenge of what they hear from other individuals of what the life looks like. And so I felt like it was important at the beginning of the podcast to bring in someone who can really speak to that. And what I love about your background is you've done it both. You were a teacher and you were a principal and you spent an exorbitant amount of years in education. So tell us a little bit about how you became a teacher, why you became a teacher, and a little bit about your background. Thank you, Dana. I appreciate you inviting me to your podcast. I am one of the those people that always wanted to be a teacher. So growing up, I was um, playing school in the backyard, creating pretend worksheets for my pretend students, and then whipping out my red pen and grading those worksheets. <laughs> I think occasionally I had to have some parent conferences. I'm not really remembering <laughs> that part, but I've always wanted to be a teacher. So when I got into high school and it was time to pick a university, I went to the high school counselor and I said, I want to stay close to home and I want to be a teacher. And she sent me to Southwest Texas State University, now known as Texas State in San Marcos. At the time, it was known as the best university for teachers. In my opinion, it probably still is, but there are a lot of good universities for teachers who want to go out there and get that education. So uh, I went to Southwest Texas, and my major at the time was elementary education because that's the way the universities were set up. If you wanted to be a secondary teacher, you had to major in the subject you wanted to teach. So if you wanted to teach history, you were a history major with um, certification as a secondary teacher. 
And a secondary teacher, just for our listeners who may not understand that lingo, it's actually a high school teacher. Right. But it's also some of middle school. Mm -hmm. So certifications now are kindergarten through sixth grade. And then there's also certifications six through 12. Mm -hmm. So your secondary teachers are middle school and high school. Your elementary teachers are K-5 and some sixth grade courses. So why did you decide to be an elementary school teacher? I've always been drawn to kids. They are my favorite. Anybody that's little itty bitty and is willing to listen to me. (laughs) (laughs) So I like leading and guiding others. And that was perfect with young kids. So it, it was just perfect for me. Um, within aptitude testing, um, one area that kind of differentiates um, a person as to whether they would be better at elementary, middle, or high school, for elementary, it's actually they have a higher level of idea generation, right? You have to pivot on a dime to maintain their attention span, even with preschoolers. Um, so, uh, you know, that normally people don't realize that, um, that when they're trying to figure out which direction to go, if their brain doesn't turn off, if they have a hard time sleeping, if they constantly have a bazillion ideas, often it can mean that they're better aligned to be an elementary school teacher as opposed to a secondary. Right. And when I was thinking about what are those things that make a good teacher, one of the things that came to mind immediately was creativity. Mm-hmm. You have got to be able to come up with a multitude of ideas and to have a as we call it, your toolbox or your or your uh, hat full of tricks, because like you said, you're always coming up with something new. We call it differentiation when you're actually in a classroom, because not everything works for the same student. Some students need to hear what you're trying to say. Some te- some students need to see what you're trying to say. Some students need to touch everything in order to learn. And you have to be prepared to hit all three of those areas with every single lesson you teach. Mm -hmm. Some students are extremely gifted and they are five steps ahead of you the whole time you're teaching. Others need things to be slowed down a little bit for them. So once again, you have to be ready for that. So you're right, that creativity and full of ideas and full of motivational strategies and techniques, you've got to have a wealth of that. So after you were a teacher for years, how many years? I taught for 11 years. 11 years. Then you decided to kind of pivot and head towards the administration. Right. So as soon as I started teaching, I immediately knew I wanted to be a principal. I mean, it was in the first year. Crazy. And that first year, my principal was not necessarily my favorite person. Mm -hmm. But I was learning from him, Mm. and that was so important to me. So I was learning what I thought was really neat about being a principal and what I wouldn't want to do as a principal. Mm. But I immediately went back, started my master's degree at UTSA, and then ended up transferring to Texas A&M Kingsville. Worked on my master's for about three years. It was evening courses, summers, summers. not online at the time. We would spend weekends in school, all of this on top of a demanding teaching career. So I never took more than three or six hours at a time. After I got my master's, then you have nine additional certification hours to be a principal, followed by the principal exam. 
So about six years, maybe seven years into my teaching career, I had my master's and my certification and technically was ready to become a principal, although I waited until I had 10 years of experience before I started applying. Mm-hmm. And so to be a principal, education-wise, because we always talk about that on within the podcast, the majority of teachers require a bachelor's degree. In order for leadership, a master's degree is right. required. That is correct. Mm-hmm. I don't know of any place that takes a teacher without a bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. Some will take teachers without a teaching certification, but they all have a bachelor's mm-hmm. degree. And then for leadership, you have to have, I, I say you have to have three years of experience. That's what I've known in the districts I've worked for is at least three years of experience. And then you're eligible to apply for administration mm-hmm. positions. And I know the only caveat to that are your career and technical education teachers, you know, depending on what that career field is, if they're a carpenter or a welder, they don't require a four-year degree. If you remember back to our last podcast with Debbie Schaefer, who was the CTE director for Northside, she kind of walked through that. So if you missed that podcast, you want to go back and, and listen to that because there are a lot of professionals who want to be educators and think, well, gosh, you know, I am a welder, but I have an enormous passion to um, share what I do hands-on. Actually, a degree isn't necessary. So tell me, you know, I think one of the big things we can't uh, discard when we're, we're talking about teachers and um, is oftentimes when my clients look at that, they want to talk about salaries and they're like, well, they don't make any money. And when I'm in the schools doing career development and presentations, when someone says something about a teacher, I'll ask them, well, okay. So how much do you think they make? Because salaries is sometimes we don't like to talk about money, but it's actually a really important part of a decision for careers. And oftentimes they'll say, oh, 35,000. Now, mind you, we're in Texas um, and I have clients all over the U.S., so every place is different. But actually for our two largest districts, they start their teachers off around the $54,000 mark. And a lot of students are shocked by that. Obviously, after that, not a whole lot of raises happen. So um, you have to go into the field, right, for typically more um, of a, a desire to make a difference and have an impact. In fact, teaching is actually in the Holland's Codes. It's a, it's a social career, not being social, but you need to have an impact. And that's actually one of the examples I always give. And I'm, I'm breaking down what the Holland's Codes look like. So kind of walk me through what the life looks like for the salary and the expectations of an of an educator. 30 years ago, when I began my career in education, teachers were making less than $19,000 a year. Obviously, things have changed a lot in 30 years. But I think what gave teachers such a bad feeling about their salary is that we were making less than 19000 and our friends with business degrees were starting off at forty dollars and $50,000. Mm, right. So we were seeing that huge discrepancy, and it does make you look and go, wow, we both have four-year degrees, and they get to start out with so much more than where we are. It's nice now that teachers are starting higher, but guess what? So are the business people. So mm-hmm. that discrepancy is still there. 
So it's still frustrating for educators, but at least now it is a livable salary when you first start off, mm-hmm. I believe. Right. It is unfortunate that you don't grow much once you become a teacher in the salary range. If you want to make more money as an educator, you do have to pursue administration, whether that be campus level administration or central office level administration. Right. And in my opener for this podcast, I talked about what a crisis we're in with educators. And I don't use that lightly. Um, it, it, I mean, we really have a major issue on our hands. Um, for elementary school teachers right now, the Department of Labor estimates that there's going to be 112,000 jobs that have to be filled every year. And for Texas, it's 14,000. Um, we have a 20% growth for just elementary school teachers every year. High school teachers come in second with about 80,000 jobs needing to be filled every year. And in Texas, it's 10,000. So that's actually a 21% growth. And then preschool kind of comes in right below that, which is actually just a two-year degree. A lot of people don't realize that. Um, 29% of all people who are preschool teachers actually just have a high school diploma. And then about 17 do have a bachelor's. But there are 58,000 jobs that are needed throughout the U.S. every year, mind you. And in Texas, we're around 4,000. So we just, the the demand is huge. And I think you're right. When we look at other careers and when people are making a decision, it's considered a value. You know, what do I want to make? If I want to, you know, make $100,000, then we have to educate them. Well, the way you get there obviously isn't at the beginning of teaching, but it's going into administration. And administration actually has a pretty decent growth. There's about 23,000 jobs in the U.S. that have to be filled every year. And in Texas, it's about 3,000. So in in those jobs, they do start to hit the $100,000 mark. A lot of people don't realize that. Along with that comes the responsibility. So tell me about your life as a principal, especially as it compared to being a teacher. As a teacher, let me start off there. You are on stage from the moment you get out of your vehicle until the moment you get back in your vehicle at the end of the day. So you walk up to the campus and immediately the the kids are there. They're ready for the hugs and they Mm -hmm. want to tell you stories and they want to learn from you. And this goes on for the next eight hours. You don't get a moment to yourself to do anything at all, not even eat lunch sometimes until the school day is over. Where that's different for an administrator is that administrators have their office to escape to at times. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So even though we're still on the moment we get to a building, we, we are not up in front of 22 to 25 to 30 students nonstop. The job is nonstop, but just in a very different way. Even in my last moments as a principal, I still felt like teachers had the hardest job in the building. Mm -hmm. Absolutely the hardest job. Mm -hmm. So would I go back now and be a teacher again after being a principal? Sure, if I was starting completely over, but from a principal to step back into a classroom, that would be the hardest thing in the world to do. Mm -hmm. I will tell you. I thought I knew what the day of a life of a teacher looked like until I started going into classrooms and spending the whole day. 
And I am telling you, I have never left doing anything more exhausted. First of all, my feet and my legs hurt so bad from being on them all day long. And you literally, one class is leaving. There are kids who have questions and then another group's coming in. They have questions. So there is no time to go to the restroom. Um, And oftentimes when it was lunch, the teacher would get up and have like a granola bar and then actually hand a child, a granola, a student, a granola bar. And kids were coming in and getting on the computers and it was their safe haven. So you're right. You know, you know, and it's funny because I'll hear people say, oh, well, you know, they get they go to work at eight o'clock and they're off by four thirty and they get their summers off. And obviously I have so many educator friends and there's nothing that infuriates them more than hearing that stereotype. So kind of talk through the the day of and, and the summers, because, you know, people do go. That is a value. Sometimes people say, gosh, you know, I do want to have the same schedule as my children. I do want to have the summers off. Um, that's one of those things that actually entices them to the field. So you are right, Dana. Nothing infuriates a teacher more than hearing, oh, well, you get off at three and you have your summers off. Uh, no, that is not the case. The kids exit the building at three. And then there is still planning. So if you're going to be in front of kids for eight hours a day teaching at the elementary level, every subject, reading, math, history, science, spelling, handwriting, and a host of other things that the state is pushing at that time, whether it be goal setting or soft skills, you are teaching eight hours a day. When do you prepare for that teaching? That happens after the students Mm -hmm. leave the building. When do you grade papers? When do you look at projects? When do you look at data? When do you talk to parents? Every single bit of that happens when the students leave the building at 3 o'clock. So teachers will work well into the evening until they're either finished with their work or so exhausted they can't keep their eyes open. Mm -hmm. Some teachers will leave the building at 3.30 or 4, but they're going home with a bag full of stuff, and they're only going home because they have kids to pick up from daycare. But the work immediately begins as soon as they get home, and then they work through the evening. Teachers work on weekends. It's unbelievable if you walk by or, excuse me, drive by a school where the teachers have a key to enter the building, the parking lot will be full on Saturdays and Sundays. Summers are the same thing. In order for teachers to be at the top of their game, they're attending professional development. Most of that happens during the summer. So, sure, school is out at the end of May, the beginning of June, and then immediately teachers turn around and they're registered for a week-long course on math instruction or a week-long course on the best way to teach writing. So it's, it's not quite the vacation that Mm -hmm. people try to make it sound like teachers Mm -hmm. have. Plus another thing that'll get a teacher in a, in an instant is you're paid when you're not working. Teachers are nice enough to let the state hold on to all of our money and collect interest off of it by accepting a 12 month paycheck. But we are only paid for those days that we're working, which is 187 days a year. So we just, opt to stretch it out for 12 months so that we're not left scrambling for cash on those days that we're not working. Mm-hmm. So when you think about an ideal person that um, would have the characteristics to be a teacher, 
What are those characteristics that come to mind? You have to like people, pure and simple. You have to like people because you are with them all day long, whether it's a little people that you're teaching or a big people like their parent or a coworker or your administrator. You are with people all day long, every day. So if there is something about people you don't like, you're going to have a hard time as a teacher. Mm -hmm. So you have to like people. It's funny. I, you know, work, unfortunately, with a lot of teachers. Every time they call me and say they're not happy, I (laughs) say, are you sure? (laughs) Are you not just burned out? I don't want you to leave the field, which I, I joke about that. That's not for me to decide, but in my head, that's what I'm thinking. And what's hilarious is how many of them, when we kind of go through and look about what core tasks they need and what kind of work environments they need to be happy, which they've never stopped and learned about, come to find out them, you know, being a 30 on the MBTI, the the Myers-Briggs personality-wise as an introvert, I'm like, you couldn't be in a worse field where you are on stage all day long. It's so incredibly draining and they've done it, you know, for 15 years and they've just pushed past it. And that's why I ask about the characteristics because oftentimes we think, oh, I can do anything, right? I mean, I like children, but understanding what that workday actually looks like can be varying, very different. Yeah, we'll definitely like people, definitely that creative piece that we talked about earlier so that you can adjust to every need of every child and every adult that you encounter. Also, in my opinion, you need to have some bit of organizational or time management skill. Mm, Absolutely. Or you will drown and be in the weeds very, very quickly. There are so many things coming at you 100 miles an hour all day long that you've got to be able to figure out what needs to be prioritized, what can wait, what can be done on top of each other. So creativity, time management and organization, being a people person, those things are all really, really important for teachers. So where do you think, this is kind of a question I ask everyone, um, and you've been doing it so long. Not only have you been doing it so long, you have been with peers who have been doing it just as long as you have. Um, where do you see, what do you see the biggest challenges facing being a teacher, being an administrator? In Texas, and I'm a, kind of assuming this is in every state, the state is constantly coming up with new initiatives and new demands for schools. So when the state comes up with that, they push it down to the district level. The district jumps on it and they push these initiatives down to the campus level And now the campus, the principal, is pushing things onto the teacher. So it's this constant demand, demand, demand. Unfortunately, what comes with those demands is not any extra money or any extra time. So it's do more with what you already have. And that is exhausting. So that's a big challenge. I think for some teachers, parents are a big challenge. Not all parents. I do not want parents to think that, you know, they are the enemy of the school because I've experienced a lot of parents who are phenomenal. They want the absolute best for their child. They want their child to be well-educated. They will support teachers, principals. They will do anything in their power to make sure that their child is getting a good education and is ready to move on to the next step. 
But there are some parents who think that their child is the only child in the classroom and that they know how to teach a child better than the teacher does, even though the teacher is the certified professional. Mm -hmm. That's frustrating. Most teachers go into the job because their heart is in it. And every decision they make, every word they say is from their heart. So then when they're criticized, it feels like they personally are being criticized. And that's difficult for teachers. Yeah. And I will tell you, when we're in session with them, I cannot tell you how many educators literally sob in my office because they're like, this is my dream job. This is what I've wanted to do forever. But the parents... That oftentimes, you know, is um, there's a disconnect, sometimes a disrespect of the children. <clears throat> and I do have some clients who say, I don't want to do that. Kids, And they're funny enough, the young adults will say, I don't want to be a teacher because the kids are out of control, which I think is hilarious because you wouldn't think that a young adult would identify. And so then I educate, you know, there's lots of different um, school environments we have. Charter schools, which I know, you know, everybody has opinions on, but it is an, an option. That's what I love about our country. We have international um, baccalaureate um, IB schools. We have um, private schools. We have in-district charter schools. I mean, we have lots of different educational options that allows a person to find a fit that's good for them for their teaching. And oftentimes they don't think about that. They think, oh, I just have to be in a public school. And that's actually not the case. Right. And I was one of those teachers who sat in your office crying <laughs> and as I was nearing 30 years as an educator thinking, I can't take the stress and the demands of this job anymore. But I did not see myself doing anything outside of teaching. And it was you who helped me to see that you can still be a teacher in other ways besides in a classroom or as a principal, which is what led me to pursuing training coordinator positions. And that's where I am now, a training coordinator for a smart restaurant supply. So I am still getting to teach. I'm supervising a leadership program. So I also get that principal piece so I'm you're right there are tons of options whether you want to go the actual literal teaching route public private charter homeschool co-ops mm -hmm, there's a ton right. of things out there or if you want to go a completely different route in the business world and pursue teaching in professional um settings. Mm -hmm. Yeah and I think it's a good point um thank you for that compliment by the way but I do think educators, you know, the goal of this podcast is to talk about how teaching is a phenomenal career path. And for people, it's really funny. I think if you ask teachers their career stories, they invariably have always wanted to be teachers unless they came to teaching later on in life. Um, you know, they retired from the military and whatever the case may be, but they always wanted to be teachers. And so listening to how you play is actually a really fun and interesting indicator of what a career can potentially be. And for my adults, who half of my clients are, um, understanding that if you're an educator, you have incredible gifts that you bring to the work environment. And don't discount that. So many times I hear, well, I'm just a teacher. And I'm like, okay, well, that has to be stripped from your vocab or from your um, 
how you speak about yourself because you aren't just an educator. You're committed. You problem solve. You are creative. Um, I mean, you bring so much to the table. And I love seeing the second chapter in your life because you seem to be just beaming every time we talk and, and I hear you speak about it. And so I just want others to know if they're educators listening to it, that there is life after after being a teacher. Absolutely. As a teacher, I, I want people to know because I've I've kind of talked a lot about the hard part of teaching and the salary is not so great. But there are so many phenomenal things about teaching. When people ask me now, what do you miss? Without a doubt, it's the kids. Mm-hmm. Every single day, you get hugs from kids, you get sweet notes from these kids, you get to serve in a role that you don't even really know what role you're serving for them, but they're going to come to you and ask you questions that they might have needed from a mom figure, a counselor figure, a nurse figure. So you're not just a teacher, you're a wealth of other roles to these kids. And that's a critical piece of being an educator. Mm-hmm. Um, the parts that I would never get up, not in a million years. Right. I'll tell you on a from a personal note, when we moved here from Dusseldorf, Germany, um, my daughter had been in 10 different schools in the course of um, about six years and had an IEP for being reading delayed. And it was right when Northside was reshuffling schools and we were going to go to one school. We were a February move. And so she was going to finish out one school and then shift again. And if you know of anyone who's on an IEP, consistency and continuity is critical. Right. And I remember Rhonda Johnson, who was her principal at Holotus, said, I know you don't know me, but I'm going to take care of your daughter. Now, let me just tell you, I have never in the course of moving every three years had an ed- educator who made that commitment. And she did. I mean, she made sure that Lauren, my daughter, was taken care of and her special ed teacher at the time, Tanya De La Vega, which I cannot say enough about this woman, to this day will call or or actually she'll text on the first day of school and say, how did, how did her day go? And as she, my daughter wrote an essay about people who have influenced her. She's a junior in high school and she wrote about Miss De La Vega and how she was literally the most incredible person she's ever come across. And so that's the power of being a teacher. Like I will never forget these educators and neither will my daughter. Teachers are fixers. They want to take care of and fix every child that comes across their classroom. And when they can't, it's heartbreaking. Right. But when they can, it is a reason to celebrate and that teacher will remember the child forever and usually the child will remember mm-hmm. that teacher forever. So so on that, I always like to end on three words of wisdom. So I would love to know what you have to share with our listeners. Okay. So the words of wisdom. I know I said I always wanted to be a teacher, never deviated from that path. But it's okay if you don't know what you want to do. Because I have a daughter right now who's a freshman in college who doesn't have the foggiest idea what she wants to do. And that's okay. And I'm going to support her until she figures it out Mm -hmm. because I'd rather her be happy than to pursue something 
and not have it be right for her. Mm, Amen. So if you don't know what you want to do, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Now, on another note, though, if you don't know what you want to do, find somebody to help you, a somebody like Dana, or search a website, or talk to everybody you know, because eventually something will click. Mm -hmm. So don't not know what you want to do and then just sit on it. Really mm-hmm. take action so that you can find something that you want to do. And let me just add on to that. Oftentimes, I don't think we talk enough about school counselors. They live for this type of conversation. Absolutely. So utilize them. They they are experts in, in career development as well. That That's part of their training. So, yeah, right. they're a great resource. Another thing that I think is really important is that you find something you love and let that be where you put all your energy. I loved kids. Every job I had growing up, I was either babysitting. I had a monopoly on that in the neighborhood, or I was working at a Mother's Day out, or I was a lifeguard and coaching a little kid swim team. So I was surrounded by kids. I knew I needed to be with kids. Mm -hmm. So I was doing what I loved. I knew I loved being creative and getting points across to people. So when I was going to work as a teacher and principal, it didn't feel like work because I was doing what I loved. So I want high school kids, young adults, even older adults who are changing their careers, find something you love and and go with that. And then you're not going to feel like you're working. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Great points. Well, Ellie, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story and and all of your insight. Um, I know that we always, um, you know, talk about how can we stay connected and, and ask for resources. And at all schools, if you're interested in being educator, you know, go to your counselors, talk to your principals, talk to your teachers. They're phenomenal resources. Um, so anyway, thank you guys all for coming and uh, listening today. I'm Dana Reeder. Hope you all proceed with confidence. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to What's Your Career Story. If you'd like early access to episodes, you can join us at whatsyourcareerstory.com. If you'd like to learn about career paths, sign up for our monthly newsletter, which is also available at whatsyourcareerstory.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.